This is Financial Wellness Radio with Rob Burnett and Lori Gross from Outlook Financial Center. When a part of your financial strategy is out of tune, your long-term goals, your retirement savings, and your legacy can all suffer. With many years of experience in the financial industry, Rob and Lori provide their clients and prospects with the information they need regarding Social Security, Retirement Income Planning, Wealth Management, and much more. Listen in as we address your financial concerns and provide helpful solutions to put you on the path to achieving your retirement goals. And now here is Rob Burnett and Lori Gross on Financial Wellness Radio. Welcome to Financial Wellness Radio with me, Rob Burnett from the Outlook Financial Center. Each week we talk about topics of current interest and importance on personal finances. We strive to educate, expose, and debunk myths, and to make complex topics understandable. And while we're at it, we're going to try to have a little fun doing it. So joining me in the studio today is Lori Gross, the investment advisor, representative, and fiduciary leading our Troy office. Good morning, Lori. Good morning, Rob. And rounding out our panel this morning, we have a special guest co-host this yes, morning. Yes, we do. It's awesome. Mr. Mitch Heil. Good morning, Mitch. Good morning, Rob and Lori. How are you both doing? We're doing great. It's much warmer than it was a week ago. It's rainy, though. It's rainy. So, um, I'd be doing a lot better if it hadn't been for the fact that just prior to getting on the microphone here, I scorched my taste buds off with my hot beverage. And <laughs> so I'm like, ah, this is not a good start. Uh, and those, those things happen to mm-hmm. us, though. Anyway, yeah, but I do want to uh, send a shout out to our, our good friend and our regular co-host, Mr. Tony Shore. He's out with the flu this week, and we're grateful that he just kept it at home. Yeah, he can keep it. <laughs> we don't want it. Yeah, we, we wish him well and uh, look forward to uh, being back with him on the next show. But uh, Mitch, we're happy to have you with us. We've worked together before, so we're excited about doing that again. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah, it is. So what we're going to talk about today is uh, this is our monthly episode on investment markets. And once a month, we just kind of step back, take a look at what's going on out there. And it's, it's really a big part of what we do here at the firm. Uh, we talk about uh, education on the market, what markets do, how they perform, how they work. Uh, we take the recent current events, we put them in historical perspective, and we help our clients learn how to navigate and respond to the markets in a very disciplined manner. And that's really critical to your long-term financial well-being. Yeah, Rob, I really look forward to this conversation each month because I've been listening to your show and working with you guys for a long time, and I really like this monthly delve into kind of the current events and what's going on. It really gives our listeners a little bit of education and insight into things that they might not know. And the last few months have certainly been an interesting ride, and your roller coaster analogy is spot on you know, for our listeners. And I'm sure the, the, I'm sure the listeners are curious about what's next. Uh, making sense of the market information as we are inundated with every day with you know what the show is about. So I want to understand how the markets affect our everyday lives and ultimately our retirement. That's right. And so that the roller coaster, the title of the show this week is really riding the stock market roller coaster. And like you said, we, we've had an interesting ride, but understanding the the impact of politics here and abroad, I understand it's an important factor, but we can't lose focus on really the important financial underpinnings of our markets. The fundamentals still haven't changed. We look at earnings, we look at interest rates, we look at employment. That's still the foundation of the overall health of our financial markets. And then we throw in other interesting side things going on like partial government shutdowns, the State of the Union address, national emergency declarations, the initial impact of the Democrat majority in the House of Representatives, trade policy, tariffs, unrest in the Middle East, 
the, it goes list on and on. Is, the list just keeps going on and on and on. And so when we look at that, there's seemingly something new every day that gets the market analysts something to worry about. Right. And the economic and political news cycle for the last few months has just been just been a truly wild ride with the markets for sure. And there's been no lack of intensity with the political conversation between President Trump and the Democrats, especially with, you know, the State of the Union that just took place this past weekend. And, you know, there's even Republicans that they still don't like the president. So the news there never stops. And there's always something to talk about. Well, that's absolutely correct. Um, But I'd like to start out by summarizing a couple of interesting facts about uh, the beginning of 2019. Um, The S&P 500 went from from a very bad uh, to a very good point from December to January. Uh, The S&P gained uh, 8% total return in January so far 2019. And that's a performance that ranks in the top 4% of monthly returns uh, in the last 30 years And ironically, the S&P 500 lost 9% total return in December of 2018, which is a performance that ranks in the bottom 2% of monthly returns in the last 30 years. Uh, There's there's 458 individual stocks in the S&P 500 that were up during the month of January, including 40 stocks that were up at least 20% for the month, if not more. Um, and, And... Here's your definition of roller coaster stock, what he was talking about there. You know, the best stocks in the S&P 500 during January 2019 was up 42.8% total for the month. And this follows as a 32.2% loss for that same stock during uh, 2018 and a 26.7% gain in 2017 and a 17.9% loss in 2016. So you can see that roller coaster thing there. So, So Mitch, can you name that stock for us? Oh boy, that those numbers—they're <laughs> up twenty-six percent and then down eighteen percent. That's quite a ride for a single stock, but um, it is. Uh, I guess my guess would have to be Apple. Is that is that close? In the in the it, top twenty, Apple didn't make it. Oh, isn't that interesting? Uh, wow, that would be a common answer. But do I'll you give, need a hint? Yeah, do you need a hint? I, yeah, give me a hint. Okay. Carbon copy. That's my hint. Was, was it Starbucks? No, no. It, it's also just turns out it's the name of our office manager, Amber's dog. <laughs> Not that he would ever guess that. <laughs> I, would be, I wouldn't know that one. <laughs> it was Xerox. Really? Yes. Xerox. Wow. Is 42.76% in the month of January alone. Oh, wow. Isn't that amazing? So, like I said, the, the ride has really uh, been nuts. I mean, you look at some of the other well-known names in that top 20. Like I said, Apple didn't make the top 20. I found that interesting mm-hmm. when I was looking at uh, GE was number three on the list. They've been having some issues in the past. Facebook was number 10 and you know, part of the, as we call in the industry, the FANG stocks. Netflix was number 11, another FANG stock. So you just go down the list. It's just very, very interesting. Uh, so you really can't predict who's going to do what and when. And that's really kind of the whole point behind why we invest and give people the, the advice that we do uh, to be strategic in your approach and don't try to pick out those individual home runs because uh, there are times when the market goes south on you. Those home runs turn into real duds. But mm-hmm. you know what they say, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And uh, one of the topics that you always discuss on the show regularly is volatility. And you've given us a metric in the past to look at that helps gauge the volatility of the market. And they call that the volatility index or the VIX. So how is our buddy the VIX doing? 
Well, believe it or not, VIX has calmed down quite a bit this January. Um, and But let me do a quick review of the VIX and its purpose for those of you who are just joining us that may not have heard about it in the past. So um, it was created by the Chicago Board of Exchange. Uh, the volatility index, or the VIX, is, is a real-time market index that represents the market's expectation of 30-day forward-looking volatility. It's derived from the price inputs of the S&P 500 index options. It provides a measure of market risk and investors' sentiments. And it's also known by other names like the fear gauge or the fear index. And investors and research analysts and portfolio managers look to the VIX values as a way to measure market risk, fear, and stress before they take investment or before they make investment decisions. So let's see precisely what the VIX has been up to. So if we look at January, this past January, the VIX peaked at a value of 25.45 on January 3rd and closed out the month at 16.57. Okay, that means absolutely nothing until yeah. we put it in perspective. The perspective is the average value of VIX over the long term is 20. So what that's telling you is the beginning of January, we were higher than average volatility. The end of January, we were lower than average volatility. So once again, that number 20 is kind of the, uh, the benchmark, if you will, the thumb rule of what's average volatility. Now, the political commentary certainly has been heated. We've had that partial government shutdown. We may be uh, staring in the face of another one in a week if the congressional folks can't get their acts together. And, and the market still, they're, they're kind of taking this in stride right now. It's really kind of interesting. And to add more historical perspective, let's look at the kind of the extremes of, of that volatility index. If we look back at the worst value of VIX recorded, it was 89.53. Remember, the average is 20. And that was October 20th, 2008, right in the middle of the financial crisis. So there's really no surprise you would have a really ugly volatility number during the Great Recession of 2008. So if we look at another period of uh, financial turbulence, that was in 2000 to 2002 when we had the dot-com companies exploding. Uh, I always ask people when we give our seminars, was there anybody in the room who had to participate in the dot-bomb explosion? And usually the answer is no, and I'm the only one in the room that has. I got to play in that role, that, that game. That was uh, an interesting time. But if you look at that, the VIX then peaked out at about 50. Now in 2010, 2011, we had some days when the VIX peaked in the low 40s. Recent history, Christmas Eve, just last year, we had, quote unquote, one of the worst days in the market in recent history on Christmas Eve. The VIX peaked at 36, not nearly the historic numbers that we've seen in the past. Mm -mm. But interestingly, that's what it peaked at that day. At the end of the day, it closed at 28. That's how just much of a roller coaster ride that one day was. And then the day after Christmas, we had one of the best days on record. It was just nuts. The problem with this is the investors have become very complacent and very used to low volatility. Uh, for the previous four years, it really, VIX was running down around 13 to 15. It was really kind of mild and kind of tame. And so any kind of uptick in that volatility has really spooked a lot of folks. I know it spooked a few of our clients. We've managed to talk most of them in off the ledge because we told them it was coming. And so it was it, the whole conversation started. Remember, we've had this conversation and they all acknowledge it. And that's really good because markets go up, they go down. It's just what they do. And so our task at advisors is to have portfolios that can endure those market changes and meet the long-term financial goals of our clients. Right. So in the face of all the volatility we've seen, and I know this is where Rob, you and Laurie at Outlook Financial Center consistently preach the necessity to remain focused on your long-term financial goals. 
you know, a violent correction like the one that was experienced in the last quarter of 2018 creates fear. But it is a new year and optimism reigns supreme, right? Well, it does. Uh, but but don't get too excited about that. Uh, there's this theory called the January effect that I'd like to talk about for a minute. And and it was this was first noticed and studied back in 1925. Um, the, the January effect seeks to explain why stock prices seem to almost always increase during the month of January. Um, if you look at the turnover of the new year and in, in how it incentivizes investors to buy more stocks, and then this incentive starkly contrasts December's trends towards massive sell-offs. And another factor that contributes to the January effect is the trend of investors using year-end bonuses to purchase new investments during the first month of the year. And since the discovery of the January effect, it's been noticed that it seems to impact small cap stocks more than mid cap or large cap stocks, which are less liquid. So to your point, it's possible that the January effect can be chalked up to something as simple as New Year's resolutions. Um, but you know, investors who perform badly in the previous year, they may use that first month of the year as a springboard to boost their success. And, and increased buying is one of the only ways to improve your potential to achieve uh, more in the markets. Well, this has been good information so far, and I've got some more specific questions for you, but that's going to have to wait till the next segment. So, Rob and Lori, Rob, do you have anything you want to add before we take a quick break? Well, Mitch, in our ability to get market information 24-7, and the market's always moving very quickly, a data overload is just a real possibility. It can be overwhelming. It can be tough to discern what to do. So for our radio listeners today, give us a call at 937-552-9990 and start the process to receive your complimentary portfolio analysis review personalized to your situation. While you're at it, schedule a no cost, no obligation, one hour consultation to go over the results of the review and get any other pressing questions you have answered. You can also find a lot of this information and other educational content on our website, outlookfc.com. You can also click on the investment management menu and fill out an online appointment request. So take a look at the website, take the opportunity to review today's show and all of our broadcasts by subscribing to it on iTunes, uh, Google Play, or Spotify. All the time, we want our clients to understand and be knowledgeable about how investment markets affect them personally. And so the goal we ultimately have for all of our clients remains the same. Retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. All right. Thanks, Rob and Lori. And listeners, stay tuned and learn more right after this quick break. Most people plan on taking their Social Security benefits at one of three ages, 62, 66, or 70. But did you know that there are over 20,000 calculations that could be run to determine the best time for you to file? Call Outlook Financial Center at 937-552-9990 or visit outlookfc.com to request your complimentary Social Security Maximization Report that will help you learn how you can get the most out of your benefit. Welcome back to Financial Wellness Radio. I'm Lori Gross from the Outlook Financial Center. And in the studio with me today is our CEO, Rob Burnett, and our special guest host, uh, Mitch Heil. He's in here for Tony Shore today, who is out sick, unfortunately. Um, Not unfortunate that you're here with us, Mitch, but unfortunate (laughs) that he's sick. (laughs) And this week we're talking about riding the stock market roller coaster for February of 2019. Lori, thanks for the brief recap. You know, the the gyrations in the market and the ongoing political battles that have, they kind of made me nervous about wondering what to do next. So we've all gone from all-time highs to a significant sell-off in in a very short period of time, and now we're back to a good month. And, you know, I like roller coasters as a kid, but as I'm getting older, 
I'm not a big a fan of them. And I also don't want that in my a roller coaster in my retirement portfolio. <laughs> Definitely. Well, uh, I think many investors are left wondering what to do now, you know, that we're through that roller coaster that, you know, we just went through. But but we believe that we may be back on a reasonable track here. Um, and, and the main catalysts for the recent turnaround include some things like, you know, a change of perspective at the Federal Reserve Bank. Um the comments coming from the Fed throughout the fourth quarter were very hawkish. They were clearly on a mission to raise the Fed funds rates with, with regularity and had the balance sheet reduction program, a, a, a.k.a. the quantitative tightening QT, on autopilot. Um, after the December route, though, they, they lightened their language to a, to a more dovish stance, emphasizing patience and data monitoring. Um, and, and the market breathed a, a big sigh of relief when they did that. Yeah. And. The other thing, one of the other things they're looking at too, just the the corporate earnings season. Uh, the early read here has produced some mixed results, but overall expectations are in the five to ten percent earnings growth this year, and that's good news for stock prices, especially in light of the lower valuations coming out at last year's end. Well, and we have a glimmer of hope on China trade. Uh, the U.S. and China are having high-level, in-depth meetings, uh, leaving investors with the belief that some trade resolution is possible. And this is a, a complex, multifaceted issue that will take years to completely resolve. But there are signs that tariff tariff escalations can be halted and some preliminary agreement reached. And after the last government partial shutdown, the government's back in business for now. We'll see what that looks like here in a week. And, but that government, that shutdown was really more of a political event and less of an economic event. I mean, we had the job numbers come out with a, almost 35 days of uh, government shutdown at 304,000, almost double the number of jobs that were anticipated. So not a big impact there. But the thing about the, being the government back in business, it does remove a barrier now and possibly will lead to new headlines about things that matter. And that's really what we want to focus on, things that matter. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, it leaves me cautiously optimistic for the for my investments in 2019. So what are some of the major themes we should be looking at? Well, Mitch, as we look ahead to the next 11 months of the year, here are the major themes we see playing out in the economy, the stock market, and the bond market. First, we expect the economy to continue to expand, but it will expand at a lower and slower pace than in 2018. Uh, the international economies, uh, they're still moderating, but we still see some positive growth uh, expected there. Corporate earnings uh, in the 5 to 10% range. Interest rates are going to remain relatively stable with the 10-year U.S. Treasury, Treasury yield approaching 3%. That's kind of a, uh, of a hurdle that it needs to get over and stay over for long-term uh, effect on the banking market particularly. The Federal Reserve is going to slow their pace of rate heights uh, this year. Uh, they were talking about doing three. They're down to one, maybe two. So that's good news for the stock market. And it won't happen probably until the second half of this year. Uh, stock market volatility is still going to be higher than what we got used to over the previous four years. But as we put it in perspective, it's still going to be around historical norms, maybe a little higher. And we do expect stocks to return about four to six percent and bonds about one to three percent. Once again, not a knock it out of the park year, but mm -mm. not terrible. All right. Well, Rob, those numbers sound pretty good. That sounds promising. But uh, as well as I know you, Rob and Lori, I assume you're going to advise your investors to be patient and not greedy. 
Well, that's exactly right, Mitch. Um, we would definitely urge you to remain patient with your investment portfolio. Uh, I'm sure your patience, patience will likely be tested a few times this year, but if your portfolio is properly balanced at the appropriate risk level, you will be much better equipped to deal with the market's volatility and subsequent emotional challenges that go along with it. And at the margin, investors can add some risk after a 10 to 15 percent correction and can reduce risk when the market uh, revisits new all time highs. And in lieu of a marginal trading strategy, consider just pegging your risk tolerance level uh, and staying fully invested throughout tomorrow's highs and lows. I don't know if the listeners are anything like me, but you may have lost some sleep over this market behavior over the past few months. You know, there's political issues in the trade policy, particularly with China. And I know investors should usually stay the course, but sometimes that is a hard thing to do emotionally. And we haven't talked much about taxes today. How has this recent tax law changes impacted us? Well, depending on who you listen to, Mitch, the tax laws uh, changes have had mixed impact. Uh, Tax preparers are still getting updates and clarifications on how the new law is going to be interpreted and implemented. Uh, I'm a tax preparer, and every day I get multiple updates to my tax software. It's just nuts. And 2018 is the first tax year to file with the new changes, and many of the forms are going to look very, very different. In the early days of uh, after the passage of the new tax law, many companies passed on this tax, those tax savings to their employees in the forms of bonuses, wage increases, and benefits improvements. Orders for new equipment and other capital investments were funded. Billions of dollars were uh, returned f- to the U.S. from overseas. Well, and some would say, however, that not enough was done for the individual workers. Uh, one, one thing many companies did start, and many are still doing, are stock buyback programs. You may have also heard these um, actions called share repurchase programs. And this is nothing new and, and should come as no surprise. These types of programs have been going on for many, many years. Well, are these stock buyback programs a good deal for investors or are they just good for the company? Done correctly, it can be good for both, actually. When a company reduces the number of shares outstanding by declaring a stock buyback program, each of your shares becomes more valuable and represents a greater percentage of equity in the company. So in a shareholder-friendly management environment like what we have here, if this is kept in place for many years or decades, then in theory, it's possible that someday there will only be five shares of the company left outstanding, each worth a whole bunch of money. Now, it probably won't go to that particular level, but you kind of get the point of how this works. So when putting your portfolio together, it's not a bad idea to seek out businesses that engage in those sorts of pro-shareholder practices and hold on to them as their fundamentals can remain very sound. So that sounds really great, but what's the bad news about this? Well, Mitch, as good as this can be, the company can mess it up. Um, Stock buyback programs are not good if the company pays too much for its own stock. Uh, Even though buybacks can be huge sources of long-term profit for investors, they're harmful if a company pays more for its stock than than it is worth right now. And, And in an overpriced market, It would be foolish for management to uh, purchase equity at all, even in itself. Instead, the company should put the money into assets that can be easily converted back into cash. Uh, This way, when the market swings the other way and is trading below its true value, shares of the company can be bought back at a discount, ensuring current shareholders receive maximum benefit. And remember, even the best investment in the world isn't a good investment if you pay too much for it. Yeah, and one more thing, Mitch, share buybacks are not always met with rousing applause. While they can make investors happy 
and a lot of CEOs are incentivized on the price of the stock and the growth in it, there's always a risk that the public and some investors are going to question why profits are being spent to boost shareholder value instead of investing back into the company or paying the workers more money. So some companies simply will choose to not buy back shares simply to avoid bad publicity. And so that always leads to everything always leads back to the need for good financial planning, doesn't it? Well, it does, but let's be a little bit more specific than that. Retirement income planning is different from financial planning, and that distinction is very important. Uh, A financial plan is designed to focus on the accumulation phase of the work life cycle to make sure that you have a general but realistic target of how much you'll need after work stops. And it also helps ensure that you're saving and investing enough to hit that target when you do retire. By comparison, a retirement income plan is designed to focus in detail on expenses after the paycheck stop and how your various assets can generate an income stream that will cover those costs for the rest of your life. It's the difference between people at work versus money at work. Retirement income planning is much more detailed and it's a a different experience that requires a different skill set to implement effectively. It's when you're ready to retire that the details become really relevant. And the two most pressing questions we get regarding retirement are, one, am I going to run out of money in retirement? And two, how much is my health care going to cost? I joke with seminar attendees, I don't know what question number three is because these two are so overwhelming that that's where we spend most of our time. Effective retirement income plan is going to require a lot of work, both for the client and the advisor. And a key element here is a deep and comprehensive data harvesting, pulling together all possible information about your assets, your savings, investments, income, and expenses. And typically those are divided between essential and discretionary. Now, just to be sure you didn't miss this message, this requires a lot of work on the client's part. Prospective clients don't like the homework we require them to complete because it's work on their part but it's essential. Well, Rob, this has been a good show, but unfortunately our time is up for this week. Do you have any additional information you'd like to share with the listeners before we go? Well, Mitch, we hope our writing the stock market roller coaster conversation was educational and provided answers to questions our listeners were wondering about. Because at the end of the day, this could be a very overwhelming process to try to get a plan for retirement. You don't have to do it alone. So give us a call today at 937 552 9990 to start the process to receive your complimentary portfolio analysis review personalized to your particular situation. Schedule your one hour, no cost, no obligation consultation to go over your review results, and we can answer any other questions you have at that time. Check out our website at outlookfc.com. And at the end of the day, we also have a Facebook page at Outlook Financial Center. You can get lots of information there and, and get stay up on our current events. Or subscribe to our podcast of this show on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. At the end of the day, we have the same goal for all of our clients. Retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. And that does it for our time on today's show of Financial Wellness Radio with our hosts Rob Burnett and Lori Gross from the Outlook Financial Center and me, your special guest co-host, Mitch Heil. Thank you for listening to Financial Wellness Radio. Don't pay too much for taxes or retire without a sound retirement plan. For more information, please contact Rob Burnett or Lori Gross at Outlook Financial Center. Call 937-552-9990 or visit their website at outlookfc.com. 
Fee-based financial planning and investment advisory services are offered by Wellness Investment Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of Ohio. Insurance products and services are offered through Outlook Financial Center, LLC. Wellness Investment Advisors, LLC and Outlook Financial Center, LLC are affiliated companies. Rob Burnett and Outlook Financial Center are not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any other government agency. All matters discussed during this show are for informational purposes only. Each individual situation may vary and the opinions expressed here may not apply to everyone. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified representatives prior to implementation.